Hey folks, welcome to the unsung podcast of Scribers and fucking Banjuri. Banjuri? 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 Wow. What's a Banjuri? Wow, that, that's that's <laughs> subscribers. That, uh, you get new vocabulary when you join <laughs> unsung. We will invent a word for you. Uh, what would you like to use that to mean, Mark? It, um, it seems something like something that would snap, but be related to something that screams at sailors. <laughs> I was thinking more like jamboree, but <laughs> I just jam- fucked it. <laughs> but a vast array of screaming banjo players from Ireland. With deep voices and loads of really derivative guitar parts. <laughs> That's exactly what you're going to get today as yeah. part of this unsung banjiri part one. <laughs> we should call it the banjiri. Good God. <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much for uh, for sticking with us. Um, and we're trying to do new content on a regular basis. Uh, and this is a revival of one thing that we actually quite like doing, but just kind of stopped doing, called Sound as a Pound. Although we've slightly changed the format this time. Uh, I mean, in I mean I'm defense, not sure if you could say that we liked doing it. <laughs> we had to listen to Top Loader. <laughs> but, and I also want to point out the logistics of doing Sound as a Pound, where you have to go to a pound shop. And I'm sorry, but the pound shops in Scotland, at least, have been the single most toxic place during COVID. <laughs> I mean, they are a fucking midden. It, it is, you're taking your life in your own hands in a pound shop here. So, personally, from my point of view, I wasn't really in a rush to (laughs) resurrect this feature until such time as there was some sort of like I had a vaccine and lo and behold I do now have my full complement of vaccines and I'm feeling just dandy feeling just dandy so uh, if you listen to the end of the double album mixtape that is uh, say disc two sorry of that mixtape you'll maybe remember that we unboxed some gifts from each other that we'd got from the pound shop now that was probably a good month ago by the time you actually hear this so we'll go over what we got um, we've got six records to, to do this not going to do all six in one episode obviously but uh, we're just going to discuss right now which ones we're going to do first in this episode yeah who's the youngest here is it you Dave yeah is it yeah how old are I'm you 30, I'm 36 in December holy shit yeah I'm 34 yeah. There you go. Um, but I, I mean, I just think Dave should get to go first, and he should just randomly pick one of his choices. Uh, okay. All right, I'll go for the one that you chose me, Chris. Hey! Uh, oh, oh, oh! Wow! <laughs> In at the deep end. So, um, yeah, you picked up a mid '90s classic, uh, Mosley Shoals by Ocean Colour Scene. <laughs> I believe that's the second album by Ocean Colour Scene. By the Birmingham band, as I Birmingham. found out. Birmingham. 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 And, uh, I mean, yeah, Ocean Colour Scene were big in the 90s. They were, you know, part of the Britpop era. They were kind of a little bit more classic rock than a lot, or you know, seemed to be more classic rock than, say, you know, Blur or Oasis or whatever. They kind of stood separate to that Oasis versus Blur battle. Um, There's like a weird spectrum of the Britpop period yeah and they were definitely at one end of it this mm. sort of more adult kind of uh, well, they were very mod dad yes, they're quite mod, 60s dad right thing yeah paul weller and yeah. the things yeah and they're, paul they're, weller they're, kinks that vibe 
Yeah, their fortunes are very tied in with Weller. And let's not forget a little band called The Beatles. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, we, oh, my Which God. I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. Um, we, we've actually mentioned them on the show before, though. We mentioned them as part of the Britpop mixtape, which I think is actually pretty good listening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're curious, go back and check that out. Um, and actually, you know what? I'm going to eat a wee bit of humble pie uh, by the end of this bit. But they were formed in 1989, Birmingham, as we said band that had five top 10 albums which is nay joke mm-hmm. um they, as we mentioned on that Britpop mixtape they actually started out quite different i mean the first couple of singles i think they had the single called sway and a single called yesterday today Really early on, maybe like ninety one or something like that, and they were like more baggy era, you know. Yeah, because it like sounded Charlotte Manchester stuff. Manchester vibe. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that eponymous debut they brought out, though, as we mentioned before, it, it almost has little bits of shoegaze on it. It's got like backwards samples and fuzzed out guitars and stuff, and it's actually more interesting than maybe they got credit for. And it, you know, it didn't really do much, and I don't think a lot of people look back in it incredibly fondly. But you know, it was at least interesting to see this band's sort of prehistory showed like a slightly deeper and broader taste uh, and set of influences than just the Beatles and the Jam. Even though by the end <laughs> they just sound like the Beatles and the Jam. Um, but I. I got you this because I basically thought, fuck you, Dave. Fuck you. <laughs> you just Take wanted that. to torture me. They got really big. I mean, I think they probably, I think they supported Oasis and got like pretty huge off the back of that in 1995 yeah. and yeah. then released this album. And I mean, right, fair play, right? The Riverboat song and The Day We Caught the Train actually have choruses in them. Mm-hmm. The Riverboat song has bit of an energy to it hence why it was used as the soundtrack to tfi friday tfi friday that's it that's it and i was like do you know what i never listened to this because i've i don't know i just always hated ocean color scene the day we caught the train i remember i had on one of those like indie compilation tapes um and it didn't i didn't hate it But I don't know, I just never caught on with their modish twatish, you know, vibe. Mm. Um They certainly put the two singles at the start of the album <laughs> and then absolutely fucking nothing happens after that. Yeah. It's just the blandest ripoff of sixties and seventies British rock. I mean, I was just it's so fucking boring, man. <laughs> that you know what? That's exactly the review I expected to be giving because when I first heard the day we caught the train, I actually quite liked it. Mm-hmm. 
must have been about 14, 15. Yeah, it's not, it's not a bad song. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's got that sort of like slightly complex melody that I was pretty into that's, again, the best parts of the Beatles and God damn it, that song was a lot to the Beatles, including that distorted Sgt. Pepper vocal effect that he mm. uses quite a bit. It's a You know, I was really expecting to be saying what you're saying, but I, t- I don't hate it nearly as much as I thought I was going to hate it when I made myself sit and listen to it. I was like, fuck, it's, I, I can understand why it was so successful. I really can. Um, nah, I, 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 I just didn't, there, were, there weren't nearly enough hooks in it for me after those first two or three songs. Now, I, I, I don't know I how mean, much, you'd defend it away, but... I just, I don't know how much impact, like you said, they would have made if they hadn't gotten the break with Oasis. Apparently Noel Gallagher got one of their demo tapes in like early 95 uh, but they'd already done stuff with Paul Weller And I think Steve Craddock had played guitar And sung with him on record Maybe even live or something like that I know that their, their backstory intertwined and, and this was Paul Weller's second coming When he did that Wildwood album yeah. And mm-hmm. fuck me I hate that And I, I mean I, that's kind of what I think of When I think of this And it's so pastel coloured And stupid fucking flat hats and stuff like that But I actually kind of feel like there's Quite a lot of okay songs in it for what it is. I Me, mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to start spinning this on the reg. I just mean, given it its dues. I mean, like, yeah, Riverboat songs on first, um, and day we caught the train second. But that track, the Circle, was really big for them. Um, line in your pockets, which starts like fucking meatloaf. Um, <laughs> Even though that was an album track, I think it, it's recognisable. I mean, I've heard that a number of times before now. I mean, because I was I actually knew the words as they were coming up, um, and I think those are pretty strong as like a hand like an almost a fistful of songs then maybe it's a bit washy for a bit but that one one for the road comes in which i think was a single for them as well yeah that's when I they think- stop um like trying to be mot the hoople and they st- Try start being Leonard Skinner, and it's okay. Yeah, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> and the, that you've got it bad—that's a really big song for them as well. I mean, I don't particularly like it, but I've it's got a really big. Dreadful psych attempt for you've got it bad. <laughs> that's my notes. <laughs> Um, Policeman and Pilots tries to be Thin Lizzy But it's shit Um, (laughs) Yeah like Fleeting Mind That's like tries to be soulful And even like a bit trip hoppy But ends up just being some white men Having a shit jam Um, Was this over the piece maybe Their most successful album The album after it went straight well, the album after it went straight to number one Which this one didn't do Yeah but I don't think it had the the legacy that this, this one did
yeah, that I mean, hundred, this... hundred Mile High City with the was the big launch single off of that, wasn't it? And it had a track in it called Better Day that was pretty big as well. This album um, spent ninety two weeks on the charts and sold one point two million copies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, can, I honestly like I'm trying to be diplomatic and objective here, and I think I can understand that. And I remember seeing them when, when they did their big Stirling Castle show, which was like a big deal and still is for that town, but. That was them at the peak. You know, they did a really big tour in 97 off the back of this. You know, one thing I think is interesting about Ocean Colour Scene, um, they had the track in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. You already mentioned that they did the TFI Friday theme. Uh, Q Magazine named them the 33rd best album ever, this one. Um, I just think it's interesting how much they docu- how closely they track with the kind of lad culture, loaded magazine guy, Richie culture. Um, and it's interesting as well because we're, we're recording this the week after England got ditched out the Euros, but their fans went absolutely tonto uh, before, <laughs> during and after the match. And people were talking about how a lot of this kind of football culture now the, the the ground was sort of set for it and the acceptability of lad culture that came out in the 90s we talked about that a lot in the Britpop episode and this album without really meaning to I don't think the guys were particularly obnoxious guys but it's really close to that it really sort of embodies that in a lot of ways but honestly ultimately I I can I can totally understand why this album was so big if you're getting it for a pound out of the pound shop and you're a or you're just an average punter with a card that still has a CD player it's probably not a bad 20 bob to spend and I don't hate it I feel like I should hate it and actually that probably makes me a bit of an aloof wanker <laughs> <laughs> I've just realised that today For I, I think uh, it's definitely got big dad vibes um, I read some of the reviews around about the time and they were called like workmanlike and kind of you know Dull and like landfill indie and all that and there's a bit of that I suppose from that era um, it feels like to me they're stuck between 1965 and 1970 a lot of the time mm. I mean they're rooted in the Beatles they're yeah, stuck absolutely. with the, the Beatles but 40 Past Midnight has some truly horrible 60s guitar sounds in it including like a proper Clapton-esque lead part which is just yeah. sort of descends into some nasty ass 60s white boy R&P piano horrible um, I like I like it when they do the kind of jam thing like, I mean as in jam band thing um, the downstream does that it's got a kind of free vibe which is alright uh, and Get get Away which is the longest song on the record it's got some nice psychedelic 60s vibes and a massive outro it takes about 3 minutes to get to the actual big bit at the end I don't hate it I think the, I think the first the first three songs were singles you obviously they've obviously front loaded the fuck out of it I think the finest symbol of singles I also remember liking the day we caught the train when it first came out um, even though the vocals got a heavy Richard Ashcroft vibe which I can't abide really that's true the verve's a big part of this as well um, but yeah man I, I didn't hate it it was dull but it was like I've heard worse things and then we will talk about them do you know what <laughs> it's like coming. to me there's two there's two sides to Ocean Colour scene there's that we're a bit rocky thing and that's what like the first two or three tracks are but when you listen to it, the production is actually quite flat. It feels a little... Like the drums are really loud and the guitar, guitars are way back. So it's not rocky enough for those rocky songs to actually sound rocky to a modern ear. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like even compared to, you know, the stuff that it's ripping off from the 70s. And then I just think the last, you know, <laughs> nine songs are just dull as fuck. 
but um, but thanks, Chris. It's yeah. It's I'll I'll, I'll put, add it to my collection. You're welcome, <laughs> um, Mark. Do I need to pick my album? Yeah. In that case, I'll go with trailer. By Ash, which is their their first release as a kind of mini album thing. Before there's a few different versions of it. Yeah, yeah. the first the, there's there's the American Japanese one, which has four extra songs, which makes it eleven tracks. And mm-hmm. kind of in my book, that's sort of an album, you know. But yeah. they called it Trailer because they wanted it to be a trailer for their band. If you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, movie style. Um, so this version only has seven songs on it, mm-hmm. um, and it's all the singles they'd released up to that it's point. Cause, it's because it was a pound. It was a pound, yeah. mate. Would you want? I'm not mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're about to really start with Ash. Ash are a bit of an anomaly, right? Um, I don't have a huge amount of love for them, right? But they they have released some huge records and they're, they're platinum selling band, if you can believe that. They've sold a lot of albums and they were heavily associated with Britpop as well. Yeah, um, so they weren't very happy about though. Yeah, yeah I mean, first of all, they're they're an Irish band and they're totally not a lad culture band. Absolutely and, not. Yeah, and even though they were bundled in with that, they were pretty uneasy about mm. being seen as anything to do with British values, whatever that means. Yeah, yeah, we've spoken about that before in loads of different episodes, right? Bands that are kicking around about the time that seem to get like, ride the wave and then just got lumped in with a bunch of mm-hmm. and musically they owe a lot more to American bands. Punkier grunge and fucking, you know, alt rock and Weezer and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Husker do. Husker yeah, do, yeah. Very much say, Husker do. I was going to say that. Like, yeah, I was listening to it and thinking, this actually sounds a bit Weezer but then I was like, that doesn't actually track because a lot of these songs came out before the Blue Album. Mm. Um, and it does sound more akin to what Husker do would actually do if they had good production on a lot of their records, I think. Um, yep. Probably sound closer to this. They started, uh, I mean, Ash are famous for being like super young. At every stage of their career, basically, mm-hmm. and and they started as a band when they were like ten and eleven years old, respectively, as a, an Iron Maiden cover band called Vietnam. That's fuck it. That is ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, was, what were you doing when you were ten or eleven years old? <laughs> I'm into that. <laughs> like that's I was this. checking for pubes. <laughs> these were, these, were, these guys were seventeen when these singles first came out, and this and trailer came out, and there's a lot of a lot of the iconic. Ash sound is already there, which is just quite quite a marvel. You think about it, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's totally. a really really cool thing. When I saw um, when I saw Ash for the first time on top of the pops doing Kung Fu, Tim Wheeler was still waiting on his uh, exam results. He just left school. He's, he's only like forty four now, and he's, they've done a lot of stuff, and they're still doing, they're still doing a lot of stuff. Um, but this record is a. Like I said, compilation. It's basically a compilation. This album, mini album, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a it's a compilation. Um, yeah, and there's only seven tracks on it. So I guess let's just get stuck into it because it's quite short. It's only twenty four minutes long, which is good. Yep. It's, it's the shortest album by far of all the albums <laughs> that we've covered that we're going to be covering. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it starts off with season. His voice is kind of it's really weird, really low in the mix. I guess there's maybe not a lot of confidence there. He's got a bad voice. That was yeah. always kind of part yeah, of the gimmick. I've never ever liked his voice. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah. no, just for the fact that they try and be as melodic as they try and be, it just doesn't work. 
No, yeah. but you know what? It sort of reminds me a little bit of Smashing Pumpkins to do another callback. They've made a decision to go with an, a totally unorthodox voice and just try and make it work. Mm-hmm. And even though it's actually probably on paper not a good voice, full stop, Corgan or Tim Wheeler, it made their music much more identifiable. So it's like, you know, any publicity is good publicity. Like, it's branding of sort, and it does make Ash distinctly Ash. And a lot of people really warmed to it because it was so imperfect. And I think, actually, we'll probably get to it, but that, that, I think that's a lot of the appeal with the band in general. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things that happen in this in this song. Across all these songs, actually, it feels the, the riff feels very nirvana to me. It's a high school riff. It's like, a pure yeah. high school yeah, riff. Yeah, it, it sounds like a high school band, and they like it, they literally were. <laughs> they literally were exactly. Yeah. But just aside from the fact they've been a really simple song, there's like this the cool addition of like a wha- the wah guitar as a second guitar part. It's like you're not really. I can't imagine myself thinking of that when I was seventeen. And they I just think. make that decision as well on the chorus, mm-hmm. rather than continuing with the riff or making the riff louder. They kind of like slightly half time it, and you know make the the chorus like underplay it which obviously that shows that they're a bit more than a high school band they're not just tying themselves to the yeah they, they had something man and it was mm. subtle things like that it's like spotting a football player when he's still young enough that you're like I can't quite put my finger on it but they do have some something that's worth developing there mm-hmm. and the next song's Jack Need the Planets right which is quite a big song for them that was like the first proper single which mm. was recognised by people Was this the one that was on the soundtrack to Angus? Um, there was a film, like a kind of like comedy, sort of kids comedy pre sort of... Oh yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and it had three Ash songs on it and I think yeah. this might have been one of them. And right, obviously yeah. after that, Kung Fu was on Rumble in the Bronx, which was Jackie Chan's breakthrough. Mm-hmm. They owe quite a lot to their uh, their tie-ins, their sync mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, it's got a really hooky power pop riff. Um, really big fuzzy bass, which is pure ridiculous and cool. One thing I like about Ash, I've always liked about Ash, even though I'm not a huge fan, is they always get the guitar tones on point. They're fucking overblown and ridiculous. Exactly what power pop should be, right? This song is definitely of the era, but I kind of dig it. It's sort of catchy, right? It's pretty good for 17-year-old boys, I think. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a couple of little bits in it, like you say. There's the, the he, he does these little melodic drops like front that are dead odd, but mm-hmm. they sort of become catchy in and of themselves. Yeah. I also I I guess like just even like the lyrics and the story of the song means that they're they're just thinking beyond boys and girls and you know it's like just being a little bit obtuse and i mean it's not exactly poetic but it's a, a bit no. more interesting than they were the really 17 year old fear they were really into sci-fi and stuff as well and a lot of pop culture they were really mm-hmm. into like star wars and things like that and star wars like samples make an appearance in 1977 they did a cover of cantina band the song from the movie star wars so there's a lot of that kind of stuff in it as well which again is quite endearing Mm-hmm. Speaking of indeed an uh, intense thing, right? I think it's probably called that because there's a lot of noise in it, so it sounds a bit intense. I mm-hmm. think if if you're just fucking around in the studio, and you're they getting- wrote that when they were eleven. 
Right, they were like that was <laughs> they wrote that when they were in the Iron Maiden band, and it sounds like a song that's been hanging about a band for years that they should yeah. probably got rid of. But they went through it and recorded it, and we've all had songs like that in I've, our old demos. We absolutely have. Um, <laughs> and uh, his voices get this weird sneer thing on it, which is just dead weird, just dead strange. I don't really know if I like it, but it's cool when there's some guts to the song as well. It's got a wee bit of heft. If you will, um, and there's some cool guitar stuff going on as well. You can, like you say, Chris, you can hear it's been worked on, and you know, and played and sort of worked down, you know, mm. yeah, to get yeah. to what the core parts of it are and kind of make them all really good. It's just dead simple and effective, which th- these guys always do really well. Um, Uncle Pat was a song that was in Heineken. I'd right. that feels more traditionally what you would call ash I think mm-hmm. um, like I said I, I wanted to say it's got a Weezer vibe but that's kind of that's not that wouldn't work because this song came out before Blue Album came out so it's probably it's more pre Weezer yeah. it's Preezer yeah Preezer <laughs> um, probably more Husker do um, Dinosaur Junior maybe in their popular moments that kind of thing yeah um, Simple Melody nice lead guitar part as well quite accomplished for a we'll keep saying it a bunch of boys um <laughs> Get Out feels very Husker do as well, I think. Just a really short, rapid punk rock song. Another one for their early days as well, apparently. One of their original, their, one of the first of their own that they did, other than covering Iron Maiden. Uh, Petro, I think it's really cool. You're really starting to see their distinctive sound emerge exactly. at this point. Absolutely. This is the one that sounds the most like early 1977. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, couldn't agree more with that one. I. It's a pretty charming song, actually. It, ca- it actually captures the, the, the band's youth- youthful naivety, I think. That word is all over them, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And the obscure thing is kind of more noisy. It feels quite akin to the intense thing. But it's a bit more grungy, I think. It's got that smoke spoken word vocal, but he's really way down in the mix, and some lead guitars underneath really quite down in the mix as well. And it's got a screaming vocal at the end, which is just utterly bizarre, frankly. <laughs> but again, yeah, it's endearing, it's you know, it's endearing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've I originally heard this the extended version and things like Hulk Hogan Bubble Bath. Punk Boy, which was a cover of a Welsh band called Hell in Love. They were fun as well. I, I just really liked it, you know. Like, full disclosure, I love 1977. I think that's a fucking brilliant record. Um, 
The thing about Ash, I think, is that a lot of people who are in bands listen to Ash and it reminds them of when they were wee guys writing wee guy songs mm. and just hammering things out and they weren't fancy and they weren't mixed particularly well, but they were just wee guys full of that kind of like optimistic energy and piss and vinegar that you get when you're wee guys. And this is just a piss and vinegar EP. It's just fun and throwaway and we've all, well, we've not all been there because somebody has turned into Ocean Colour Scene, but mm. most of us have been there with a guitar at some point. And I just think there's something nice about that. It's very sincere, very honest. And unpretentious, and you know what I find interesting is the fact that it's in Poundland. <laughs> There's some good ones in there. 80s Matchbox were in there as well, mate. Yeah, but it's just it's like this pre-album from, I guess night. It just shows how big the band got. Mm-hmm. De- basically, a demo by seventeen-year-olds is still worth selling, or sold enough that it gets repackaged and put in at Poundland. Mm. So is it right. my turn? It's your turn. Righty-o. Well, fucking, which one do we go for? I've got a couple of Bobby Dazzlers, don't I? I really do. Um, right, well, let's go for uh, Crash Test Dummies. Oh, God. I'm going to do this all in baritone. Once there was this girl who wouldn't go and change with the girls in the I love singing this at karaoke, by the way. I fucking oh. love singing this song at karaoke. Can you get um, that low? Or do you have to move it up? Yeah, I can do that. Mm. Yep. So, God Shuffled His Feet is the title of the album. That that I wish you hadn't. <laughs> 1993 is her second album. The band Crash Test Dummies are from Manitoba in Canada. They started in 1988, more or less. Uh, they had an album before this that was called The Ghosts That Haunt Me. And it honestly is so naff, it almost sounds like Christian rock, but I'm assured that they were not in any way a Christian rock band. Superman never made any money. Saving the world from Solomon Grundy And sometimes I dispel the world uh, By the way, I saw some people refer to mm-mm-mm-mm as uh, a very slow scatting When <laughs> 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 they were trying to define it um, I mean, they had some stuff after this. They had an album in '93. Uh, where no, in fact, they they were on the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack first, where a cover of XTC, English band. Uh, they had an album called The Worm's Life in '96. It had more guitar, like including distortion. That did okay, but it wasn't, you know, not great. Uh, 1999, they did an album called Give Yourself a Hand, which has absolutely mental cover art. In the doghouse. You did, baby, you did. Who put your granny in the granny house? You did, baby. You did, baby. Who put the bed in the mouth? I don't know if you've seen it, it's so fucking weird. I mean, they are quite a weird bunch of guys, you guys and girl. Uh, they don't seem like they take it too seriously. Uh, 
Um, the, on that, give yourself a hand. Uh, the Ellen, um, the female member of the band, took over singing on four tunes, and Brad, the guy with the Brad, uh, he ended up doing falsetto in three tracks in that album <laughs> as well, which I that fucking must sound mental. Um, and in 2000, here's an interesting one. Brad almost killed himself in a car accident and uh, he went to recuperate in Nova Scotia and while he was there he made pals with three lobster fishermen so then wrote and performed (laughs) his solo album (laughs) with those guys Um, there you go Uh, Christmas album came out in 2002 I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know. Jingle all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I would be remiss not to point out that in 2015 they brought out a single called Promised Land. Mark, I sent you a link to this. Uh, that was done by a guy called Mark Mysterio. Uh, it's fucking wacky as fuck. <laughs> it's got vocoder in it. It's got like kind of sort of dance like take me away. It's got like pitch shifted baritone vocals. It, it sounds a bit like Mark Morrison, you know, Return of the Mac at times. <laughs> And also but on his solo album, he's done a Britney Spears cover. His solo album was brought out uh, as Crash Test Dude, which was accompanied by a mockumentary. When I'm not with you, I lose my mind. Give me a sign. Hit me, baby, one more time. Oh, baby, baby, the reason I breathe. He was totally drunk and went and did a live concert and recorded it and released it as his first solo project and he gets more drunk as the album's gone on including this Britney Spears cover and apparently it's fucking hellish uh, so <laughs> they're, they're like an interesting band um, I think there must be a genre here and I, you know it's one of those things that we occasionally manage to put our finger on as a podcast we should slowly chip away at this and come up with a good label that cat that, that incorporates you know Crash Test Dummies, but also the likes of Deep Blue Something, Lisa Loeb, Sixpence None the Richer, that kind of New York City, urban, friends, Starbucks music. You know, it's that acoustic-y, you know, even like Torn by Natalie Imbruglia, that whole kind of genre of beige rock. Cappuccino rock. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Starbucks core. (laughs) We we need to workshop this. Maybe the the hive mind. Maybe we can, like, crowdsource this to the the (laughs) listenership. But there's a genre here somewhere, and these guys are in it. Even though mm, 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 it's a bit of an outlier because it's so novelty, um, some of the other stuff is just bang slap in there, you know, accounting crows with a slightly more bassy singer. Uh, God shuffled his feet the title track, it's so fucking nineties. Created blankets and laid back in the shade. The people sip their wine. And what with uh electric piano, sparkly guitars, string pads, we mini electro drum samples, it's so on the nose for nineties. Pop yeah. music, pop like alternative indie pop music. Uh, Afternoons and coffee spoons is amusing on getting old. Day 
Pajamas in the daytime. Someday I'll wear. I'm pretty uh, convinced he's got only one melody that he writes for every single verse that he ever writes. Mm, well, in the days of the caveman is so fucking similar to so many other tracks on this, yeah. yeah. Um, he keeps um, talking about fucking pajamas as well. He mentions pajamas in about four songs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, as we, you know, that's their teen spirit. Um, uh, I mean, there's not really a lot to talk about other than the fact that the album's so powerfully fucking MOR, middle of the road. Um, Swimming in your ocean <clears throat> is stinking, but it, I mean, it's got this kind of weird Mark Knopfler Stratocaster sound. Uh, but there's a bit in it where the vocal follows the guitar line, and I was like, shit, I kind of like that. <laughs> and. <laughs> And then I realised, like, this isn't a bit like Ocean Colour scene. I was like, this isn't as bad as it should be. And then I realised that I was 40. And then I realised that (laughs) I am now officially 40 because we listened to an Ocean Colour scene album and a Crash Test Dummies album, and I didn't hate them. I have to say, I, I enjoyed this more than Ocean Colour scene. Because it's it's just a little bit sillier and they seem happier. They just yeah, like they seem happy, that's true. I mean, yeah, it's it's really not very good and <laughs> but they just you know, it just seems like there's quite a lot of joy. You'd probably just have a nice chat with them over a lentil soup. Um <laughs> I don't know, it's just a throwback to a sort of naive like that early 90s American idealism makes me want to watch Due South. Yeah. Uh, that's a good reference, yeah. yeah. It's that sort of Canadian-American, the Cold War is over, Northern exposure. okay. Yeah, yeah, it's that sort of vibe. Yeah, and, yeah. like, I genuinely, I didn't hate it, even though it was bad. Yeah, mm. it's got all the ingredients of something you should hate, but there's just something, like, it is not a good record, right? It really isn't. Swimming in Your Ocean, for example, is the most powerful pub rock band of vibe of any band <laughs> we've covered in this podcast but in I just, three and a half years. I, I, w- I want to put down a flag here. Just, I think it's a good record. I think it's actually a really good record at being what it wants to be. Yeah. It's just what it wants to be. Yeah, there's no ass. pretenses. Yeah. It's not was, trying yeah. to be fucking dream theatre or... Nirvana or anything It's that, really well executed It sounds amazing That's like, what I was going to say yeah, that's yeah what I was going to say Like the, the, these guys are and, and girl Really believe in Chucking the kitchen sink in It's like <laughs> Fuck we've got all this money We're on a major label Let's just take this As far as we can take it And it's got that Naivety around it again Where it's like oh, These guys You know these guys Are just fucking around And see how, how how long They can ride the roller coaster for And I like mm. that about it You know Yeah it sounds like It sounds like Something that you would see In a, a half a half full pub on a Wednesday night for Pish cunts who grew up in their 80s and still have a hard on for 80s rock but have kind of mellowed out in their old age and it's the kind mm. of stuff they like now but man whatever I'm not it going made to me, it made me want to go on a sunny road trip through Oregon in 1994 <laughs> you know and is, that, is that not when the militia movement was at its highest they had this happen too <laughs> well, much enjoy in myself on the way to the militia <laughs> and the compound the Aryan nations like listening to the crash test dummies um 
Alright, well I didn't get nearly as angry in this episode as I thought I was going to and, uh, you know, I'm, something... I'm, I'm gutted by that as well to be honest guys <laughs> <laughs> So are the audience, there you go guys Short, short changed on every front Thanks for contributing financially to the Unsung Podcast <laughs> <laughs> And we recommend the Crash Test Dummies <laughs> 